All right, guys, uh, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures and how they do things in other parts of the world. Uh, my name is Nosayari and welcome to another episode. Today I have yet another guest. I have Kenny Green in the studio. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for inviting me. How's it going? I mean, while recording this on December 26th, uh, 2019, you're probably going to be my last episode for the year. I'm not sure if I'm going to record the Friday episode. We'll see how it goes. But how's your 2019 been so far? Pretty great, man. I feel sad I've been recorded like the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last episode going to, from 2019. So, yeah. Yeah. So far, 2019 was a pretty great year for me. You know, um, very, very healthy and a lot of positive things went up in my life. So. Can't wait to complain about 2019. Can't wait for 2020 also too. So yeah. yes, yeah. I mean, you, you seem to be someone who's like big on health, right? Because I called you like once or twice, and you were in the gym. You're like, oh, I'll call you back. I'm in the gym. Do you do that a lot? Yeah, man. I try to go to the gym like four to five times a week, man. Wow. Because the thing is, in, in America, man, like the food's not that healthy. So oh, like, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, if if you're just like eating and you're not working out, man, like your your clothes get tight. Your pants get tied. So you got two options. You can go to the gym or buy new clothes. <laughs> exactly. And going to the gym is cheaper, right? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> go to the gym or buy new clothes. That's, that was my philosophy. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm so lazy. Like, I've tried, I've tried everything, but I think I really need to eat healthier i think that's what it is because right. my i have two gyms in my apartment building okay. i still it's just a matter of walking downstairs or taking the elevator downstairs and i still don't find myself using the gym like i'm not consistent like the times the few times i've been consistent for like two months or so i'll, I'll find myself building unnecessary muscle and i really don't want to be jacked i just right. want to like be the right size lose some weight and feel healthy and be able to maybe run a marathon or engage in physical activity without gassing out my, my advice for you on uh, home gym or gym in your apartment complex are great but to get the to get the come and get like that first start you never want to work out in your home because what happened working in your home is very very complicit it's easy and so what happened you can never like push yourself to like that limit oh so it doesn't challenge you it doesn't challenge you. Oh. so what i recommend like that first three months or like that first four months of six months what we can afford i recommend you going to a gym where you pay we have we pay your deals every single month mm-hmm. what happened is once you once you once you're on that once you're on that momentum like that first three months or like that first six months then you cannot go back to your home gym. You get but used to it. You get yeah. used to it because it. now you, you know you know your limits and you know how to push yourself. Push yourself. And everything else. So that's why I pretty much can advise anyone to first do. I guess another uh, problem of mine is that I have this old knee injury, so I can't really do a lot of gym things. So I try to like focus on sports that don't put a lot of pressure on my knee, like biking and, you know, uh, swimming would have really been a wonderful way to keep in shape if I could like find... Uh, are there gyms with like Olympic size swimming pools, or I just have to look for a local boys and girls club or something? I mean, that, that's I mean, that's there's tons of gym out there with Olympic size, Olympic size swimming pool. Uh, kind of, kind of depends on your budget. I mean, I tend to be very, very like frugal when it comes to money. So yeah, I preach. You're talking to the choir, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, my advice: you can still do a lot of workout without um um lifting heavy weight. Um, that's a workout called like barbell complex. So wait, with barbell complex, you can look that up on YouTube. Barbell complex. Yeah, it's called okay. barbell complex. What barbell complex is? I'm actually going to the mechanics here, but okay. I just leave it on the surface. Is you using light weight? But instead of you doing, instead of using heavy weight, you just using light weight. But you you you're doing a lot more reps. So what's a rep? So a rep is how many times? Oh, okay, got right? it. Right. So instead of you doing with heavy weight, you might do like five reps. But with barbell complex, you make the the, the the weight lighter, so you can go and you do a lot more, 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 a lot more, a lot more. Because at the end of the day, right? And when you say weights, like lying on your back and pushing up, so barbell complex is is a full body workout. So okay. nobody, no no body parts get left behind. Oh, wow. <laughs> even the leg, you don't you don't forego leg day and everything. You do everything. <laughs> you, 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 you do everything. So it's a full body workout. But this workout is designed. For you to not gain muscle. I mean, you will gain muscle, but not too much excessive muscle. 
Okay. And you, you burn a lot more calories. That's what barbell complex That's what is. I need. Barbell complex. Yes, for okay. barbell complex. I'll, I'll look, I'll yeah, look into it. Please, okay. You just do as many reps as you can within a short period of time or less resting time. So most kids, when you first start the workout, I'm not going to go off the radar here, but like your rest time be about like two minutes, but then you, you want to push yourself from two minutes. You break that down to like a minute and a half. And then maybe the next following week, you break that to like one minute. Or maybe like the next following two weeks, you break that down to thirty seconds because you want to oh. you want to you want to decrease your rest time. Got it. Because the workout is designed for thirty minutes. Got it. To forty five minutes when you're out of there. That makes sense. Perfect. So you don't have to spend a lot of time. You just go in thirty minutes to forty five minutes. Not a lot of lag time. You push that, push that, push that, and you know four or five days a week, your calories go down. That makes a lot of sense. I can I can see myself doing that. I'll, I'll look up. I'll look it up on YouTube. So. Definitely, definitely. It's called barbell complex. And you can, I mean, it, it get intense also too. But I want I want for someone just not trying to gain a lot of muscle, just just to stay healthy mm-hmm. and look lean. I would say do not just keep the weights to the minimum. Got it. Got it. Okay, interesting. And uh, besides uh, talking about, you know, uh, how your 2019 has been, uh, how's your Christmas been? This is the holiday season. Uh, I understand you were in Vegas a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, I, I was in Vegas myself. I came back on Sunday. Nice, uh, nice. Give me the history, man. Well, I know what, what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but as much as you can share, uh, what yeah, you do. Yeah, man. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, it was, I went there for my birthday. Oh, wow. When's your birthday? Oh, it's on the 19th. Oh, happy birthday, man. Yo, thanks. I appreciate that, man. So, yeah, man. So I went there. Um, I went to Vegas. Um, met my cousin and my other friends. So we all just went up there. We where'd you guys stay? Um, we stayed at the MGM. So we got a pretty. Oh good wow! Deal. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah, man. But I mean, is anyone Vegas, the high roller on that team? <laughs> no, not really. The thing, the thing with Vegas, you want to book your flight on your hotel like a month and a half in Preach. advance. Preach. You better save like seventy percent. Preach. So it's all about preparation. Yeah, I mean, I went there. We stayed at the Westgate. My brother's birthday is on the 24th. So we went for like a birthday weekend for all of us. I was introduced to Blackjack for the first time. I won (laughs) won like 58 cents on slots. (laughs) I was very excited for that 58 cents, man. I tell you. (laughs) I won like $45 the next day playing Blackjack. But I didn't didn't want to push it. I just played for like 15 minutes. I was out of there. I'm taking my 40 bucks and I'm gone. (laughs) You're a genius. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Pretty interesting. And, um, Kenny is from Liberia. Yes, sir. originally. Um, yeah, but your last name is Green. Yes, there has to be a story there because when I hear Kenny Green, I, I was like, okay, this has to be some white guy. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. I mean, it's a story behind it. Then, um, so long story short, um, my dad was adopted. Um, but I mean, by by some American missionaries and stuff like that. So, oh wow! So I mean, that's pretty much you pretty much come and came here to the states. So oh wait, so you're you were born here? No, no, I was born I was born back in Liberia. But um, I'm not too sure you guys know Liberian history, but like there should be a lot of peace crop people that should go back to Liberia and like do like missionary work or teaching and everything else. And then my dad just formed like a relationship with a couple missionaries there and stuff. So when the war actually broke up in Liberia. Um, we had the opportunity to come to the States based on a relationship my dad had back home with people he used to work with back in the Peace Corps. Got it. Got it. So so when did you come to the U.S.? Uh, my parents and I would move here to the States in 99. 99. Oh, so you've been here for a while. Have you been back home since then? I haven't yet, but um, I'm planning on going back on um, this year. Got Maybe it. 2020. Got it. Got yeah. it. 99 to 2020. Wow. That's uh, almost 21 years or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. So I'm, I'm super excited going back. But me, I came out as like a teenager. So I still can't remember like what things were like back in Liberia. So talk to me about that. Like Liberia, what I think about Liberia, like it's a francophone uh, country, which is a country that speaks uh, predominantly French. Uh, not, not, not really. Not really. Liberia. Oh, okay. Why should you speak English? predominantly English, but library, like, um, we have, like, 14 counties, right? So, like, every county has, like... Is it called a county or a state? It's called county. Oh, really? Yeah, it's called county in Liberia. So, um, you have, like, 14 counties in Liberia. So, depending on which county you're going, they have their own dialect. So, for, my, my, for example, my dad, he's he's on the Pella tribe. So, like, when you go when you go in um, Bon County, people speak mostly, like, Pella, but then people, like, speak English here and there. Okay. But English is mostly spoken in Monrovia. Or most like on the coastal on Mon- in Monrovia. Monrovia is the capital. What what's the lingua franca? What are government documents written in? What are school children taught in it?
English. English. Oh, really? I, yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I just thought about it like, uh, okay, learn something uh, new every day. So where where exactly in Liberia did you grow up? Uh, what are your earliest memories? I was talking to my friend from Iran, and she was telling me how you know, she used to play football in the alley. What are some of the things you did as a kid in Liberia growing up? Some of the things. Oh, great, man. I mean, I still remember as a kid, man, just growing up in Liberia, man. It was a, it was a great, great experience, man. Um, for example, so Liberia, I grew up in like in like two neighborhoods. On one, I grew up in a neighborhood called like Pinsville, which is about like about thirty minutes outside of the capital. Okay. And then I grew up in another place called Sinkar. So Sinkar is like pretty much like the suburb of downtown Monrovia. So um, Sinkar is more on on the coast. So growing up as a kid, we used to play like um beach football, but here everybody called it soccer in America. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do an episode of football versus soccer, <laughs> but that's sometime in the future. <laughs> yeah, so um, just grew up as a kid and stuff. So I mean, it was it was, it was pretty interesting, man, just like riding your bike on the beach and stuff. Just, yeah, so it was a pretty, I had a pretty great childhood in Liberia, but then when the war came, pretty much going to ruin that, so yeah, yeah. I had like, I mean, that's, that's also something like uh, when you talk about Monrovia and Liberia, a lot of people is, is Charles Taylor Liberian or Sierra Leone? He was, he was, was Liberian. He was Liberian, yes. Okay. So the whole Charles Taylor thing, when the war broke out, uh, before 99, before you came over here, what were some of the changes you saw as, uh, I would say, I would guess you were a teenager, maybe you were like 14 or something? I was like, yeah, 14, 14. 13, 14. Yeah, yeah, I think it was over 14. Yeah, 14 about a term. 15. 14. And you hear about, you know, situations like child soldiers, people getting adopted. Did you experience, is there anything you can share? Maybe anything you or members of your family experienced uh, during that period? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, not to be negative here, but it means, but like, I, I lost a lot of family members. Maybe as an librarian, I'm pretty sure any librarian you talk to lost a lot of family during that war and stuff. As far as child soldier go, I knew tons of friends that that became child I mean, that became child soldiers. I mean, so mm-hmm. I, I mean, we go a little bit back to the to the nineties. Growing up as a child in, in Liberia, so grew up in in in, in Pinsville. It's a city like about like thirty minutes, about thirty minutes outside of downtown Monrovia and stuff. So as a child, man, like you pretty much like Liberia at the time. We enjoyed luxury, like you know what I'm saying, like oh wow. yeah, it's mean? beautiful. It was, it was a very very beautiful country. Yeah. Um, um, great great economy, great job. I still remember my grandparents and my going to work every single day. I had a pretty good job. We had a pretty good lifestyle. But then when the civil when that war broke up, you could literally see like the country just pretty much like people that were very very nice to each other mm. were like very very aggressive towards each other. The neighbors did not trust the neighbors anymore. I mean, guys, um, that were like. A students, you can see them like carrying guns around. Wow. Yeah, in a, in a neighborhood. So it, it come and change, it come and change people's perspective. Can you imagine as a child, give or take, I was about five or seven years, seeing their bodies just lay on the side of the road. And you normalize that. You're just like, okay, that's just another body because you've seen so much of it, right? Yeah. Or I mean, as a child, you can, you can never process that. Mm. You, you keep questioning, you keep questioning because you, you mean, you just, you're not mature yet to come and process mm. things like that. So, you have like these like very very weird dreams and things like that because you, you can never process process a dead body and things. You know the person is not alive, but you, you know, I mean you can really process. Gotcha. Why why it happened to them? Why then? Yeah. So has that been one of the reasons why you haven't been back in so long, or just other reasons? Um, it was, it was a couple other reasons. Um, mostly like I mean I'm not gonna say finance and stuff like that. It was just like. Because most of, most of my family, we all come and left during the Civil War and stuff. So like, does everyone leave at the everyone, same time? Everyone come and left. So now, okay. with the internet, the family's coming connecting back. So, um, cousins are not moving back home, and then relatives are not moving back home. So we pretty much trying to put our roots back to where things were broken apart. So just it took a while, but now the process are back in place. For example, um, we as a family, we come and rebuild um, our family home back. In Monrovia, so just like come, just gradually like building back and things like that. It takes it takes a while. It's easier to break stuff, but it's harder to to build things back up. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. And and, you know, me me being from Nigeria, uh, it makes me you know kind of like count my blessings. Even though my my country is plagued with a myriad of issues, you know, corruption is a big thing. We have no power in most of the country. There are a lot of things. Like when I look at some of the other African countries, even like a neighboring country like Cameroon, which is just down south, 
excuse me, just down south of Nigeria. And I look at what other, like I had a friend from Togo, you know, talking to me about how his country didn't have a stock market in 2018. And people were just coming together in 2018 to like build a Togolese uh, stock exchange for the right. first time. I was like, wow, those are things we take for granted. Right. Uh, even though we've had our own version of like a civil war, like in the 60s and 70s, early 70s, like and we've experienced our own like, you know, military dictatorships that in a sense compared to like these other countries where, you know, you, like you said, growing up five years old, seeing dead bodies everywhere like that. That's not necessarily the reality for most of us growing up. And I can, it only makes me appreciate like the resilience that, you know, other African countries like have. When I even see, hear about some of the stories, uh, you know, in the African Cup of Nations, which is a football competition or soccer competition about what their players had to do to get to the competition because right. of, you know, the issues that are happening in the country is just so, so, um, I just, you know, try to count my blessings. But, but talk, talking about you coming to Colorado for the first time, so you, you get to the U.S. Right. Uh, you said your, your dad had uh, so, some missionaries uh, who he knew that brought you guys over. Did you land in Denver, Colorado for the first time, or you were in another city? We come live in New York City first. New York? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so we come live in New York. Pretty diverse. Well, it was super, super, super diverse, but we wasn't there that long because my dad was looking for opportunities. And at the time, a lot of Liberians that came to the U.S. were not doing pretty good. Like, they pretty much kind of adapted, like, that American lifestyle, you know? My dad already did not want to be around that way, his family. So we just had to, like, wait in New York for a very, very short period of time. Mm. And then a couple opportunities came on that way, and then we just made that transition here to Colorado. Okay. What was your first impression? Like landing in New York, like the airport or like the first week? Uh, you, I mean, you had already matured, you were a teenager. So what were those like? Did you experience culture shock or some of the differences you saw between both countries or both cities, like between Pele and, um, um, sorry, you grew up in, did you live in Pele or you grew up in Pele or you, your dad's from Pele? Look, my, that's his tribe. That's his tribe. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we grew up, I grew, grew up in Monrovia. Monrovia. Okay. The difference between Monrovia and New York City. Oh, oh my gosh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty interesting. So, um, we left Monrovia, but then we landed in New York City in the daytime. So as a child, I mean, just seeing like all the tall buildings, it's just like infinite, just infinite amount of buildings. Just like, I mean, as a child, you watch these Hollywood movies and everything else. So you pretty much have like some sort of a clear vision what you might be expecting, but like it's reality right in front of you, like, oh my gosh, like I'm here. This is real. And you, yeah. you don't you don't feel until you start to pinch yourself. You're like I'm not really like flying over New York City. Yeah, yeah. Well, what were some of your interactions? Like, I remember the first time I came uh, to the U.S. to visit. Like, I went to Chicago to see my brother, and I I was hungry. Like, I didn't know how to use a stove. I wasn't, you know, because we use stoves differently mm -hmm. back home. Like, I didn't really know how to use a stove, so I walked out. And I was like, okay, uh, let me go to Burger King, and I went to Burger King. And I was just so surprised. Like, everyone there was like pretty much under like maybe like 13 years old or right. 12 years or something crazy. Like everyone from people on the counter to like, if you could call that person a manager, I don't know right. who he was like behind the scene and someone mopping. Like everyone was like just pretty young, like just like they left high school and mm. just came to work at Burger King. So I was surprised that, like, oh wow, they let all these kids like handle like a uh, Burger King outlet. And right. I was trying to pay. And I think my bill like was 13 dollars and some cents or whatever and i didn't know like the coins i'd start looking at because okay which one is one cent right which right. one is four cents C can you like relate to any story like that your interaction with like americans for the first time when you wanted to get on the bus or a taxi or or things like that i mean for me i know how like any for you i think have a lot more control but for me i came with my parents Got so it. like as far as like my parents like made like all the decisions Got as far it. as like but i think the first full week i ate in the U.S. of McDonald's. McDonald's. It's yeah. always McDonald's. Because <laughs> that's, that's a name brand. <laughs> right, right, Everyone right. knows McDonald's. <laughs> right. So, okay, start there. So, because even, even, uh, even when, when we left, when we left Monrovia, all my cousins like, yeah, man, like, you should try McDonald's. You should try McDonald's and let us know. So, so the first, the first thing I ate in the U.S. was a McDonald's large, no, a Big Mac, 
a last fries and a last drink. I mean, <laughs> you remember the order? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, you're a kid, man. You're a teenager. You're always hungry. Like, you know what? I'm going to go large in every single thing. <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. I think, I think the first thing I had was a Wendy's. Like, I, I don't think that was the first, but the first one I can, like, really remember was, like, a Wendy's Baconator. Oh. Uh, it was crazy. I'm feeling like it filled me to, and my brother always used to take me to get that because, you know, he was a broke student at the time, and oh. I was, like, a broke tourist. So that was... Ah. <laughs> like feel us for the whole day then we go out into the city and just do different stuff so but yeah pretty pretty uh interesting and is uh all your family still in colorado like right now so they come um, i got families back in uh in maryland my brother moved to silver spring maryland my uncle they live in minneapolis and then got some cousins in philly philadelphia jersey so Oh, wow. You're just kind of scattered. Do you do a lot of traveling because of all this? Yeah, man. So for me, uh, I try to like pick two families to visit a year because it can get, it can get pretty pricey. So, yeah. Uh, so like this year, um, I visited my uncles, um, in Minneapolis. And then this year I was going to go for Christmas, but then I spent most of my money in Vegas. So I'm going to go on a trip this year. Oh, you didn't win, you didn't win the 45 bucks. Like you should have get out, should have gotten out early, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What about outside the U.S.? Have you, you know, had the opportunity to go to like Mexico or Canada or, or I don't know? Yeah, I had a chance. US? I had a chance to go to Cancun mm. when I was like twenty-two. That was nice. Pretty, was it spring break or something? Yeah, it was else? spring break and okay. stuff. On that was a pretty crazy experience. Just come um, like just leaving the U.S. and just come just seeing like different culture, like in North America. That was kind of pretty interesting and stuff. So yeah, it was different language, different culture. Like pretty much like next to each other, just completely different. And, and spring break is kind of like the thing. We kind of like have something. I won't say it's there yet, but it can get there in the next couple of years in Nigeria called De Dirty December. Oh. Yeah, it's a whole like it's like spring break. So it's like every in December, everyone who's abroad, we call them the I just got back. I, I just got back from whatever country you're coming right, from. Right, right. Everyone like converges, like see their family during Christmas and right. it's like a month long party. There you go. So it's like there are these parties that cater to people who are bringing dollars or pounds or whatever currency, Deutschmark or whatever right, right. to spend. And we call it dirty December. It's been on for like three, four years now, oh. but over the next like ten years it's gonna be like a staple thing in Africa. Cause like now Lagos, Nigeria is traffic is mad there are like opportunities people are building new hotels like creating new spots just because of like dirty december so right 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 uh, looking if you ever if you're ever in west africa man you should try it in december no i mean i, I mean i got some friends um from nigeria too man my, my buddy ebay uh, he's from nigeria we like we actually went to high school together and stuff so mm. we pretty much like um we pretty much like best best friends we went i mean we should like take the bus together to school together we play yeah we, 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 he's my best friend actually so yeah but he, 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 right. He goes back to Lagos every, so his dad's from Portagas and his mom's from Lagos. So he's kind of like, when he goes in December, he goes to both cities. Both cities. But yeah, my mom lives like, in Portagas. But he told me Portagas is a lot better than Lagos. I'm not too sure. Uh, I don't know. Like, it depends on, uh, I mean, maybe if you're older, I just uh, want peace, like to enjoy your life and just okay, like, okay. you don't want like the hustle and bustle. It's kind of like comparing New York to, I don't know Maryland or something. Oh, like, got it, got if it. If you're like, if you if you're young, you want to to, to make money, you right. want to grind, you you know you're energetic, then you know Lagos is a place to be. But right. if you've made your money, you want to just like relax. Mm. And you might like go to Port Harcourt, which oh. is kind of, kind of like by the river, by the ocean kind yes, of thing. Yes, So it's just like a more chill city. Nice. Uh, although they've been having because most of the oil companies we had in Nigeria come from there, so we've been having some issues there lately. Hmm. But you know, um, it's more or less like known as a peaceful, laid back city. That, I, I, I never knew that. I, every time I talk to him, he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna go to Lagos for like two weeks, and then I'm gonna go to Bahamas, and then I'll fly back to Lagos, and then fly back to the U.S." So, but he goes every. Every December, that's kind of like his religion. Yeah, <laughs> and both cities have international airports, so you can right. land in in either city. Right. Um, let, let's talk about your career a little bit. So you're you're a loan officer. Your your current role is as a loan officer, and you work in a mortgage company. Tell me about some of the things you do day to day. Because one of the things I try to also pull out of our guests, uh, mm -hmm. even though we're trying to find out about you know culture, your background, that kind of things, uh, any professional knowledge you might have that's useful to you know one or two of our listeners. Yeah. Uh, maybe someone wants to buy a house, you know that kind of thing. So what do you do on your day to day working for a mortgage company as a loan officer? It's great, man. Great, great question, man. Um. I really appreciate that question. Yeah, man. So 
on a day-to-day mortgage consultant. I mean, it, it, I mean, it can go for me. I work technically, you know, I work for the mortgage company, but I'm considered an independent mortgage consultant. So I'm gonna come and come and consider myself a consultant. So I give you advice, and then any decision you make is on use. But my end goal is to come and give you the, the give you a great advice so you make the best decision for you. Advice on what? Buying a house buying or a getting house, a mortgage? Getting a mortgage, buy a house. the process, yeah, getting a mortgage, the different loan programs and everything else. So that's two programs that should, I try to like preach to most of my customers or my clients, albeit if you just ask me a question. When you, it's called Chafa. They give you like, Chafa is like a first down, pay, down payment assistance program. You take for example, I mean, not that many young people have like twenty, thirty thousand dollars to put down the first home, right? Yeah. So what Chafa does, they give you four percent towards the purchase. Four percent. That's down payment. And I can imagine this is only in Colorado because I think Chafa is a Colorado state organization. Oh um, yeah, and I think I mean California. I mean California have there also too. Okay, they have different states have a version. Yeah, different, of different states has different Chafa. program, but C C H F A. Yes, C H F A. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Yes, sir. So um so. And then you also have a thing called like um, Denver Metro DPA. So mm. Denver, Denver Metro DPA gives you six percent towards the purchase of the oh, first. Home. Can you get both six and four? That's ten. It's one or the other. Oh, so you go for six? <laughs> yeah, but a different requirement, right? So take for example, with Chafa, it only requires a six twenty credit score minimum. Six twenty, okay, that's not bad. Right, and then Denver Metro DPA it requires a six forty credit score. That's it. Yes, that's okay. all it takes you to qualify. That's doable. Yes, and it has to bind. It has to be less than four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars in Denver. Is that crazy? Because I hear prices are are, are like jumping up. Like in the jo- I mean, the average price, depending on which neighborhood you want to live in. As I said, it all kind of depends on the neighborhood you want to live in. But most I, downtown, I to, Denver downtown. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> you might better scoop a condo, like a one bedroom, like one, one, one bedroom with no bathroom. <laughs> You gotta knock on your neighbor's door to use the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> half a million dollars, and you don't have a bathroom. But, but the prices in Denver are crazy, man. Like when I went to Vegas, I was talking to my Uber driver, and she said uh, she bought a house for. I think four eighteen or four twenty, and they have a freaking pool. Yeah, it's a four bedroom with a pool, with a backyard, with everything. Like you can't freaking get a pool in Denver for four hundred thousand. That's crazy. That's even pricey. Like my my buddy, my buddy just Tony moved to Vegas. He bought a townhome out there for three hundred thousand dollars. A three level townhome, three level townhome on three bedroom, three bathroom, mm-hmm. a full living room, full dining room, two car garage, decent backyard. His HOA fee is one hundred and fifty bucks a month, but like it's a community pool. Yeah, it's, it's, they have, it's a newer home. It's not that far from 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 from, from downtown Vegas. Yeah, and he loves that. But how, how much? How much did he buy? He bought it. Uh, yeah, he bought it like right around like I mean, pretty close to about three hundred thousand dollars with taxes and everything. Else. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Not bad. I guess when I want to buy a home, I know who I'll come to speak to. Right. It's you, then it's Zaina, who's like a real estate broker. I had on the podcast like a couple of uh, of episodes ago. But uh, let, let's drill back into this. So you talked about Chafa and the Denver DPA. Yeah, Denver Metro DPA. Denver Metro DPA. Okay, they help you for first-time home buyers who want to buy a house. So they gave me 6% to buy a house. So let's say the house is, uh, I don't know, 300000 uh, dollars or something. Okay, let me just pause this real quick. No, I, I can calculate that. So based on three hundred, based on three hundred thousand dollars, six percent is what? Like is uh, what twenty k or something? I think like twenty thousand. Let me make sure. I, I want to give you a list of the, the best information possible. Mm-hmm. It's eighteen thousand dollars. Eighteen thousand. Okay, yes. so they give you eighteen k. What do you do next? Do you like? Are you supposed to add more funds before they come to you? What do you advise them to do? No. Um. So at that point, and sorry, first question: Is that eighteen k? Is that a loan, a grant? What is it? So the different measure DPA. If if you if you do not refinance the house, if you don't sell the house within three years, you do not have to pay that money back. Oh wow. Yes, but you, you have to stay in that house within three years. That house has to be your primary home. You cannot use that loan. For investment property, gotcha. So, example, first-time home buyers. Okay, so only. people who use this to like be buying different houses. To be buying different houses, it, okay. it, it's only for one one family, and you're gonna use that once in your life. In your life. And now you know every. I mean, you're gonna use that once every three years. 
Oh, so that means after three years, you can get it again, but it has to be for a different property, yes. and you have to be moving to that property. Exactly. So that yes. means you can sell your old house, take the equity, get a DPA, then move into a nicer neighborhood. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. So, yes. So that's how it works, right? Is there is there eligibility? Do you have to be a Colorado resident? What do you have to do? Okay, this is the rules right here. Um, you know, that's a, everything in life. That's the rules, right? So, so talk about the it. The rules will be: you have to have a minimum of six twenty credit score. Mm hmm. You have to make less than $139,000. Damn, that's like 90% of the whole country. <laughs> less. That's what I said. That's what you said. It's designed because anyone okay. that makes that much money, you do not deserve a down payment assistant. If you make, yeah. if you make over that amount, you do not deserve a down payment assistance because you have your own money yeah. somewhere. You got to go figure that out. Facts. Right? And so, yeah, that means the two requirements you have. It has to be your primary home. You have to have a minimum of 640 credit score. And you have to make less. You have to make less than... $139,000 a year. A year. Give, I just run up to $140,000. Okay. Okay. Yes. So you, so you get the 18K. I'm looking at this 300,000, you know, two bedroom, three bathroom. Perfect for the six kids I want to have in my life. Right. That kind of thing. What do I do next? What do you do next? You, you, you come talk to me. Mm -hmm. And then we, I, um, this is how it works. So you, I'm the, I'm the long guy. I'm the guy that give the money to you. So you come talk to me first. We sit down. Two couple of things I require a couple of documents from you. I'll need like two years of your tax return mm. on two years of your W two on bank statement. I need like one month of bank statement mm -hmm. and then one month of the paycheck stuff. What is a W two for people who are listening to this from different countries? Oh yes, yeah, so your W two is is the thing the government gave you every single year. Mm -hmm. It's it's proof that you pay your taxes. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. every year you get this in your mail every every single year. The U.S. government or the IRS send this to you or your employer. Mm -hmm. Hand it to you based on how your employers get that handled. My employer usually like mail them out to me. Like I usually get my like second week in January. Some employers yeah. get them in December, so it kind of varies when you get those. So, so I need two years of those. And okay. once you hand them to me, go in there, crush the numbers and everything else. I'm like, okay, listen, based on your income and based on your debt, guess what? You're gonna qualify for three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay, so you can qualify for either higher or lower than yes. the money you're asking yes. for. Yes. So now, so based on three, let's see, we get you qualified for three hundred thousand dollars, right? So now you, you take that eighteen thousand dollars and subtract that eighteen thousand dollars for the three hundred thousand dollars. So you, you will be financing two hundred and what eighty two thousand mm -hmm. dollars. That'll be your loan amount. You'll be financing. Okay, so that's your mortgage two hundred eighty two. And you do this based on you know how much the person's earning a year. That's why you need those documents. Maybe I'm sure uh, his expenses. So you pretty much underwrite the whole transaction. You, you pretty much underwrite the whole transaction. Got it. And that might amount to a mortgage is what typically for thirty years. Is it possible to get a, a lower ten year mortgage if you want to pay off earlier? How does that work? I would, for me I always advise most clients, right? So always go for the thirty years, and if you can, if you can pay extra sixty bucks here or extra eighty dollars here or extra five hundred bucks here, great. You still pay your mortgage. You pay your mortgage sooner. But mm -hmm. the thing that is, let's just say you take a, you took a vacation. Um, for me, I'm from Africa. Right? I mean, for my brother, one of my cousins or sick or anything like that. Yeah. I still make the minimum payment. Yeah. Right, and then I still make the minimum payment. So now I'm not stressed out. Out. So that means you can make extra payments if you want to, but now you have more time to pay back. What right. if, I, if I'm playing devil's advocate to say, oh, if you take a longer term mortgage, that means your interest is going to be higher in the long term. If you take a 15 year mortgage, that means your interest is going to be lower. And, you know, that that can spur you to, to pay quicker. Does that still make sense? Or are there penalties for paying off? You want to pay off my mortgage in 10 years or so, 30? Are there penalties for doing that? Great question, man. Great question. So take your example, take your example, child for loan. With child loans and measure DPA, the interest rate is set by the state or, or whoever, whoever's like underwriting that loan, whoever, because it's set. Wait, what do you mean a child loan? So you mean after I get the 18K from the DPA, the 282K are giving me still qualified as a child loan? Yeah, because child for we underwrite the loan, but child also underwrites that loan also too, because oh. the child actually funds the loan. I don't want to go in more detail here, but yeah. child funds the loan. So what happens when you, when you make a mortgage payment every single month, that mortgage payment goes to child So child funds the loan for you so to keep that loan in-house. So interest rate is set by child So right now, 
Chaffer rate is 4.25%. Is that good for a mortgage? I think that's pretty aggressive, actually. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty Man, aggressive. Mortgage is supposed to be like 2 to 3%, right? Not not anymore. Not anymore? No, because interest rate been going up. I mean, if, 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 if you listen to read the news, I mean, interest rate goes up True. and goes down. But for the state of the economy right now, 4.25%. It's pretty aggressive. Interest rate. Is that a sign that you know the the houses are about to crash again? Because you know the last crisis in the mortgage industry was like eleven years ago, and people say every ten years there's a crisis. So we're like at the period of a crash, which is when I probably want to get a house when the prices are low. <laughs> but uh, do you, do you see there being another crisis? I don't know in the industry. I mean, this is my philosophy. Um, I mean, I'm not too sure if, if I run an analogy, but like. Finance, it works. Finance works like this, right? This is, I mean, this is like a physics. This is one of a lot of physics, right? This is for something that is in motion for it to be stopped. An external force. An external force that is greater than that, than that, than that, that um, whatever's in motion, right? So you take, so let's bring that to the economy, right? You look at job growth every single year. The, the job income, you have, you have job growth, you have consumer confidence. And those are the two things that determine because buyers are emotional. Those are the two things that determine if someone want to buy this or not buy that because they know, okay, I can spend 30 bucks for the concert ticket, but guess what? I'm, I got the option to work overtime tomorrow, mm. right? So that's how it works, right? There's no greater force that can stop what the U.S. economy is doing right now, right? No, there's no external force that can stop it. Except China. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah, so what? I mean, the trade war, but if you look at, I mean, you look at the stock market, it's what, 28,500 points to the market close. Mm-hmm. Almost 28,500 points today, right? So there's no external force that can pretty much like stop the momentum of the U.S. economy right now. So who, who knows, right? Things can change overnight, but if I was to look two, three years, I don't see anything. I, maybe in the long term, but like in the next, in the short term, short maybe. term, I, I, I don't see anything. I, I, I can never predict the future. I can pre- predict the based on raw data, what's in front of me, what I see every single day. I think the U.S. economy is doing very, very good right now. There's more, there's more jobs than people. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can agree because people have two, three jobs. So <laughs> I can, I could definitely agree. Okay, so that just to. Uh, finish up on this transaction. So you give me my two hundred and eighty-two thousand loan, spread it across thirty years. That amounts to what twelve hundred, thirteen hundred dollars a month. You read about about say read about like what thirteen to fourteen hundred dollars a month. Dollars a month. So pretty much what most people are paying in rents. Hundred. So you might as well have your home and get equity in that home than paying rent to a landlord for five years. Then the money is just going down the drain. Hundred percent. So I, so I give you thirteen hundred dollars a month, but I'm responsible for renovating the house, for doing any upgrades on the house doing anything and if the house gets sold based on the amount I've paid maybe I've, if I paid 50k out of that 282k I get that 50k back when the house is sold right is that how it keep this in mind though, some of that money you pay goes towards interest so you know oh. because that's the so equity is just principal technically because your house going in value every single year right so okay. it doesn't mean because you made $30,000 payment it doesn't mean your mortgage payment is going to drop $30,000 because take for example don't quote me on this I don't know the exact metrics but i think the first one year i think like almost 60 percent of your payment goes towards interest interest and can it, you choose can, can you choose the type of like structure or mortgage is always like the same can you choose it to be a straight line or like your know, interest always comes first you choose, because the banks has to make money right banks are business make it. money right i'm a former banker so, <laughs> that you can a banker, so, yeah, so, so that's how it works right? so the banks has to get you see with your car loans most compact most most compound on 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 interest rate to work that way because mm. the, the first the with mortgage the first three years I think it's like almost like sixty forty almost sixty percent of the payments mm. goes towards the print uh, interest and then forty percent goes towards Prince. principal. So to, I mean, to have good equity in your house, you have to have paid for at least a considerable amount. I mean, it's five years or something. But it did based on the market, right? With Denver, the, the average, the average, the average interest, the average on uh, on equity. In your property goes up like anywhere between two to five percent a year, depending on which neighborhood mm. you live in, right? So, take for example, you bought a house five, six, seven years ago, right? If your house is going up in two percent in equity every single year, I mean, you pretty much can be sitting on pretty close to eighty, ninety thousand dollars. Okay. In 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 equity on your home. 
Man, this is pretty interesting. Like, I'm learning about all this stuff because, I, you know, I, I see myself buying my first home in the next few years. I'm just waiting for the market to crash. But <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Yeah, 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 <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but yeah. still, like, it's a pretty interesting thing. So I pay this thing. After after I get the loan, you know, I, I pay it every month. Do you want mm-hmm. to explain some of the terminologies that maybe uh, listeners might be interested in, like refinancing? What's what's a refinance when you're refinancing your home? Great, great question. So when you, when you refinance, so you, can, you can most people refinance for two reasons. One is to take money out. So let's just say, hypothetically speaking, you got hundred thousand dollars in equity in your home. You're like, you know what? Hundred thousand uh, equity means you've paid a hundred thousand no, off you, the loan. No, not not pay. Your house that increase in value. In value. Oh, got it. Right. Your house that increase in value about hundred thousand. It's just hypothetically speaking. Let's say you, you, your house increase in value about hundred thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. But you cannot take out the you cannot take out all the hundred thousand dollars. With most refinance rules, you're going to take out 85%. Because the bank doesn't want you taking all the equity out. And now, if, if yeah. something happens, the bank is out of break even points. So the bank won't allow you to take up the 85% cash out. You're going yeah. to cash out of the 85% of that loan, right? So let's just have a take speak. Like, you know what? I want to start my own business or anything like that. I want to take some equity out of my home. Yeah. Right? And you're going to take some equity out of your home. And then based what interest rate is and what your credit score is, your interest rate might increase or be the same or decrease. Mm-hmm. The next thing you're going to have is called a streamline. So what a streamline is, you're not taking any cash out, right? So let's just have a technical speaking. You're paying 5% interest rate, right? And you're like, you know what? Interest rate just went down. Rates are pretty low right now. I want to refinance my home. So what happened is you refinance your loan from a 5% to let's sell a 3%, but you do not take any money out with a Okay, so that, that happens, right? There are times where you're paying, and the original document says you're paying on a 5%, for instance, but currently the market is 3%, so it doesn't make sense for you to be paying 5 So you refinance to pay that 3 Yes, sir. So that eventually, on, in the long term, reduces the money you're supposed to pay, but it's not like you're taking out any money you're out of the transaction. You're not taking any money out. But when you, take, when, you, when you take out money, there's a chance your interest rate might be the same, or go up or go down. So how do you know that I'm going to get the 3%? Do based you, based do you on your know? credit score, right? Or based on your credit score. So based on your credit score and based okay. on your debt. It's called like the debt to income. The most thing to look at is your debt to income ratio. Mm-hmm. How much money you got going out, how much money you got coming in. The got next it. ratio to look at is your credit score. Okay. Based on your credit score, with a 700 credit score, you should better get, what, 3%. Or based on a 650 credit score, you should better get like 3.8%. So those are the two factors that warrant where your interest rate will actually fall. Got it, got it. Does it does it affect, does it in any way change the dynamic if you're married and maybe you have multiple income streams or your partner has a better credit score than you? Like, does being married or having a partner make it easier to purchase a home, get a mortgage or pay off quickly, that kind of thing? Do, do you see most of your clients are joint applicants like husband and wife or like single, single people? What, what's your thought? I mean, based based on how prices are very very high in Colorado, I, I've been seeing I've been seeing that many single guys or women buying homes. Mm. I've been seeing a lot more married people, uh, right? So, okay. but it's you cannot discriminate against people. I mean, you, you cannot determine someone's interest rate based on married or not married, right? So, by law, you really cannot do. So that. it doesn't strengthen the application in any way. It technically you, you can you cannot look at marriage as a way to determine what. You're going to give this person credit or not give them credit. No, not credit, but let's say you're underwriting the loan and you're looking at maybe ability to repay and you're saying multiple income streams, for instance, or something. You, 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 by law, you, can, you cannot. By law. Oh, you, really? By law, you, you, cannot, you, can, you cannot say, oh, because this guy's married and he's going to pay me back no technically because they can get divorced, right? So uh, you really, you really cannot look at that I to got. underwrite a loan. Marriage is going to help you to get more property. God. Because now you have two income. So... For the one get guy, a bigger house. you get a bigger house, right? Uh, so for me, let's say hypothetically speaking, if I make seventy five thousand dollars a year, yeah. I can even afford a three hundred fifty thousand dollar home max. Mm. But if I'm married, my I, I make seventy five thousand. My wife makes seventy five thousand, hundred fifty thousand. So now we can now afford a six hundred thousand dollar home or a seven hundred thousand dollar home. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, that that spoils my plan because you know I'm African, right? And we we marry like three, four wives. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love. Hey man, these are my five wives. We want this condo. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's all good. It's, it's pretty interesting, and, and I look forward to you know uh, uh, relating with you. This is a beautiful thing about this podcast. I get to meet new people. I'm, I'm new in Colorado, so you know maybe in the future uh, you can teach me more about this. You know we can do business that kind of thing. Yeah, man. But before you go into like the mortgage industry, you were like uh, our, our car salesman. You were like in the auto industry for a while. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How, how exactly did that prepare you to do what you're doing now? I know a lot of people like uh, I, I look at the other side. A lot, a lot of people tend to look down on car salesmen based on how um, they 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 are like really aggressive in the way they sell. Always mm-hmm. like want to close a deal, but I look at it as perfect business training because most of the businessmen I know were car salesmen at one point or the other in your career. But how exactly? What did you learn from being a car salesman? Are there one or two stories you can share, and how did you translate some of those skills to what you're doing right now? Hundred percent. Let me take you back to how you got into car sales. Okay. I think when I take you back, me first come and get the whole me as a, as a person as a consultant. So long story short, right out of high school, I used to sell shoes at Nordstrom. Mm. Yes, I, 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 I used to sell shoes at Nordstrom and everything else. And then this guy coming in one day, we just talking. He's a like, man, like, do you like this? I was like, yeah, man. I was like, me, I'm an 18 year old kid, about be 19. He's like, yeah, man, you want to come sell cars? I'm like, man, I'm, I don't know, but I take, I give it a try. And then my first time, I was so scared. Wait, an 18 year old can be a car salesman? Yeah. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, as long as you don't have like any like bad driving record and stuff like that, which mm. most eighteen year olds tend to have. Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. As long as you have like any any bad driving record, a lot of car dealers will let you work there. Wait, why do you need to have a good driving record to sell cars? You're not driving the cars; you're just you, selling you, you, them. You do, you do drive the cars though, because hypothetically speaking. Yeah, but you just park them. It's not like you're driving. But this insurance, uh, uh, because the dealership has insurance on you, uh, so even. Even if my if my driving record is bad, mm. it does affect the dealership warrant. I mean, how much how much you pay in the insurance paying premium? Insur- oh, makes sense. Right, makes right. Sense. So, so yeah. But I mean, I think I got in the business at pretty much like nineteen. So I, I sold shoes at Nordstrom right around when I was like eighteen. But when I got in the car business, I was like nineteen and stuff because I think I sold shoes at Nordstrom for about a year. So it's pretty much about nineteen, about twenty something. So I'm the exact timing. Yeah, but. So I went into car sales and stuff. And then, yeah, I mean, the first couple of months pretty hard because, like, you know, I mean, you have an accent. People don't really trust you and stuff. So so I had to, like, mimic people. Like, that's one thing I think car sales really prepared me for because when I got in that business, I was just clueless. But then after a year, I kind of figured to be, you want to be a salesperson. You want to be an advisor. And I think that's the reason okay. why a lot of car sales. Wait, there's a difference. A salesperson and an advisor. Talk to me. It's just, it's, you're both selling the same thing. Okay. But a salesman doesn't care about the buyer. It's just, okay, I saw this guy a car, bye-bye. Mm, mm. A sales, uh, I mean, an advisor sits you down and asks you questions. Okay, like. What's your plan? What what's you your, do? Wait, what are you going to do? What, mm. what, what do you need this car for? What are you going to be doing with this car? So, ba- so ba- a college student is different from a farmer, for instance. Exactly, Makes right? So sense. because when you advise the person, like, hey, listen, like, based on your scenario, based on your credit score, based on your, based on your income, I don't recommend you buying a $40,000 car. You're still in college. You just graduated college. Buy yourself an $8,000, $9,000 car, mm. right? And then maybe in the near future, you can buy yourself that $40,000 car. Mm. A car salesman, it's all about his self-interest. He does not care about if the person can make that payments, if yeah. that person eats. He doesn't care. It's all about mm. him selling a car. Okay. And, and I'm sure in things like car sales or like the real estate or mortgage market, it's all about referrals. So if I'm satisfied in what you do about me, I'm going to recommend my buddy to come to you to get a new car in your house. 100%. Mm. Because business is based on referrals. Mm. And when you treat people right, and when, when that guy knows, you, you tell him, at first, people get pissed off at you. I've seen customers get pissed off like, no, I want a $40,000 car. But you know what? They will call you about three to four days. They're like, you know what, Kenny? You're right, man. I sat down. I crunched the numbers. You're right. I can afford a $40,000 car. You know what Saving happened? them from themselves. Exactly. Mm. You, you make friends for life. Mm. You become that guy that will send all the friends to, all the families to. Up to this day, I've been in the car business for three years now. People still call me today. To this day, like, hey, Kenny, are you still selling cars? My name is cars. And then, wow. like, this is my friend. This is my partner. We used to work together. Call this guy. 
and show me them numbers, I'll make sure you get taken care of. People still call them today. Oh, that, that's that's pretty interesting. Like I said, a lot, a lot of business people. I tend to literally like read a lot of business books and like just uh, motivational books and just general like books in about biographies and different books in general. And a lot of people like Jim Ovia, who's like the chairman of Zenit Bank, which is like one of the biggest banks in Nigeria. He used to sell cars. The the greatest salesman that ever lived, according to like the Guinness Book of Records, is uh, Joe Girard. R.I.P. I think he died in February this year. Oh, man, but sorry. Joe Girard like was a car salesman, and that's exactly what he did. Like he used to sell cars like one on one, and like they knew him in General Motors right. and all these places. He used to sell cars in Detroit, right. and he was like the greatest salesman. He used to have a line. Uh, just because of the way he made customers feel and the right. deal he gave them. Right. He used to have a line outside his office. Like, there were, like, 40 salesmen in the dealership, but everyone was waiting to see Joe Girard. He has a very interesting book about selling. Yeah, if you, I, I, I can't remember the out. name. But it's Joe Girard. It's J-O-E, Joe, then Girard, G-I-R-A-D. Huh. Just search his books. I mean, it's that. pretty old. I think it was first written, like, in the 70s, but they've had, like, revised editions. Mm-hmm. But it has a lot of interesting oh, wow. stories about sales on how you can, you know, Play to your customer, be attentive, you know, right. all those little, little things. So Right. People want to be take at the end of the day, man, you want to treat people how you want to be treated. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I think that's all sales promotion comes down to. Yeah, I'm not going to sell you a car. I'm not going to make the transaction, but my angle is to leave a lasting impression on, on you. you. Create an impression. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know what, man? I would never, you know, I bought this car. I bought, a, I did not buy a car from Kenny. But man, like, if I know anyone that would want to buy a car, you know what? I think I'm going to ask them, go send, Kenny. go talk to Kenny. Yeah, yeah, which is something rare, like, in the business world. A lot of people just think about the short term and don't really, like, think about uh, the long term. Which is one of the reasons I think, I guess, Amazon keeps winning because they are always long-term thinking. Like, they think about, okay, what's the next 20 years? What's the next 40 years? Like, what's going to happen? It's not just like, oh, I just want to sell, sell you a thing and you're gone. I kind of think about the whole ecosystem. <laughs> right. As Warren Buffett said, man, long game. Whoever played the long game always wins. Exactly. I mean, I'm starting to, one of my, um, it's crazy you mentioned Warren Buffett because I was pretty much listening to like a finance video on YouTube before mm-hmm. we started recording. And one of my um, goals for 2020 is to increase my portfolio in stocks. Mm-hmm. So right now it's like less than a thousand bucks. Like I want to increase it considerably and like look at companies who are going to be here in the future. So companies 100%. that have to do like with tech or companies that have to do with the logistics right. surrounding e-commerce or companies right. that have to do with cannabis, you know, emerging industries like that. 100%. You know, not just the regular stocks we've been seeing and things we're like thinking about the future. But right. you strike me as a person who's like really, really interested in like business. You have a picture with Mark Cuban and all your social media. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just, how exactly did you meet Mark? I guess it was like at a conference or something. And what do you see yourself doing in the future, like business-wise, yeah, man. For me, you know, I came to me for me. Even though I've been in the U.S. for a long time, but man, but like my heart is still back home mm. in Africa and in Liberia. I don't think the U.S. needs my talent. Oh wow! I mean, there's enough talented people in the U.S. So for me, I would try to surround myself with people that are business-minded because I think that's what Africa we need today. Mm. We African. I mean, I mean, us African, we have to have a big impact on that continent because most of the Europeans not want to come in and make the changes or the Americans not want to come in and make the changes. So I think we, as young Africans, we have to have that continent or have our heart. So yeah, I mean, so for me, I always try to surround myself with business people. Long story short, met Mark Cuban out of, out of charity event that I got invited to by the friend and stuff because I was been intrigued how business savvy Mark Cuban is and stuff. So I always follow the guy like, oh yeah, and someone told me, oh, Mark Cuban's doing a charity event. I think you should come check it out. Was that in Texas? Where was it? That was in California. California. Got yeah, it. yeah. So I ended up meeting Mark Cuban at a charity ball and everything else. Show hands. We come and chit-chat for like a couple minutes and stuff. So Is he as easygoing as he portrays on the, online and his interviews and stuff? Is he very like Just free? so you know, man, the whole thing you see in a, is all act. Really? He's, <laughs> it's just, it's, I mean, you watch Shark Tank, it's all act. He's a, a regular, normal person. Once I is a regular normal person on on his interviews. Like that's what my he come uh, off very very arrogant. Really? Yeah, we watched my his his uh, new uh, interview, not the older ones. 
But you watch. Yeah, I mean, he knows his stuff, but like, I guess he 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 he's not afraid to say he knows things. But what I'm getting at is that he doesn't talk like the regular billionaire. Like he might talk like a millionaire, but not a billionaire. A lot of billionaires have this panache, like this kind of like elitist. But he's just he talks like a regular Joe, like he, a regular he, guy. He does, but like sometimes he he sends out like that energy, like he's the smartest person in the room. Mm. And, and I, I mean, I would take the arrogance back. I probably say sometimes he walk in the environment, he thinks he's the smartest person in that whole entire room. In most cases, it's not the case, right? You know certain things, and I know certain things. Mm. You know, it's just like that's just life. But yeah, but he knows business. You gotta be confident if you just believe on what you say. Yeah, the truth. Your truth is your truth. Your truth is your truth, right? I mean, pretty interesting. You said you want to work back home. What industry do you want to work in? What do you want is what do you see yourself doing? For me, I think I want to be the next. I, w- I mean, I want to be a developer. Mm, real estate. Real estate, because man, I, I think Africa as a whole, we are the future. There's like so much potential on the continent. I mean, mm. look. I mean, look at the Hiltons. The Hiltons in in in, in America, they built they built the U.S. Yeah. The, the U.S. government did not build these fancy hotels. Those were like individuals. Coming together, putting the ideas together, and building hotels. Right back by the U.S. government, though, like in some form or the other, whether it's uh, concessions not, or not, not at the beginning, because mm. this is how the U.S. government works. They have to see talent, of course, before they invest in it. Mm-hmm. And and I think Africa as a whole, we always keep relying. Oh, our government has to do this. No, I mean the government is going to help you out, but I think we as a people, a young young African, we start developing our talent, and we just hope that maybe our government back and can invest in our talent. I mean, to play devil's advocate, like, not a lot of people ask for the government's help nowadays. What we ask for is just give us an enabling environment. Provide the basic infrastructure. Right. Because in somewhere like Nigeria, like, Nigeria is like having like a tech, I, I don't know if I can qualify like as a tech boom, but like a lot of tech you know, companies are springing up. We have people like Jack Dorsey from Twitter and like Mark Zuckerberg from mm-hmm. Facebook and all these people are going to see what's going on in Nigeria. But like these guys are young guys who are trying to build these tech companies and stuff, but they are facing so much opposition because not only is the infrastructure not there, but the government is starting to like look at them and say, oh, it's like you guys are making a lot of money. What can we do to make sure we protect uh, the legacy institutions of our friends and cronies and like push you guys out? So it's it's not only like surviving where there's no infrastructure; it's like surviving past, you know, um, resistance right. from the government. So that's crazy. But you know, hopefully it gets to change. You know, like you said. But I don't know. I, I mean, I think I think I think the continent is changing. Mm-hmm. Like that old mindset. Like I, I think you have a lot of young leaders. I mean, take for example, Ghana. I mean, Ghana president. He's doing some tracks. He's doing some pretty good things. And the guy from Rwanda, what's his name? Uh, Kagami. Kagami. He's doing, mm-hmm. I mean, they just launched their first smartphone yeah. and stuff. So, so I mean, I think the continent as a whole is changing. And I, and I think us in the West, we can have a huge impact. Because for us coming from the West, we have some sort of a capital you know, yeah. Yeah. to come and get things going and things like that. So, yeah, my heart's back home. Let me, let me even ask you about that. So the, you, you talked about, you know, the continent changing people from the West. So there's this belief of mine that there needs to be a collaboration from people on the ground who you like know, know those systems, uh, people like us who haven't been home in years, who come back with like capital or some kind of expertise. It needs to be a mesh. This happens in Nigeria. Let me ask you if this happens in Nigeria, in Liberia, sorry. Do you get some kind of resistance from locals when you go back home that who, do, who does he think he is he's coming back from whatever Amsterdam with all this money does he think he's better than us they, you know they tend to like ostracize like they even give them names like I just got back like, right, right, right. like I said earlier for people in Nigeria oh he's he's an in it guy like he came from London in it like he's an in it guy he just came back he thinks he's better than us and this is something I was guilty of when I was like back home because I just came here a couple of years ago it hasn't been that long you look it's, there's some kind of inferiority complex that doesn't make you totally open up to people who come back and like what does he think he knows because he went to Harvard he thinks he's some kind of savior that can come here and change this place to New York overnight is that something you get also in Liberia, they are more welcome into their returnees. It's, it's the same thing. I mean, I, I think it's the same thing you get because when people see you come from the US, um, they're thinking, oh, this guy, he come with a lot of arrogance. Because, I mean, that's how it was. 
you gotta look, and that's a double-edged sword. Because even for me, when when I was when I grew up in Liberia, I had cousins that came from the states. They came like this arrogance, like they totally like we were inferior to them. So that's a double-edged sword. So, so the prejudice then not just come out of nowhere. So the prejudice were based on people' reality. True. I mean, you've been from. I mean, you've been. I'm pretty sure you have things before you came to the U.S. You have people that went back home. They stuck up. Yeah, they I mean, went, I've been on both sides of the fence. <laughs> see, so I'm saying. So as you said, we we both need to have like that mutual respect. Got it. Got it. Right, because you, if I'm going to learn from you, and you want to learn from me, and we have like that mutual respect, we can definitely work together. And I'm not too sure, but someone told me I haven't read the article, but like. The Chinese had a big tech bubble, like in in the nineties, and most of the Chinese, those was Chinese from the West that came to the West, Facts. learned, went back home, and they're like, you know what? I got this idea. You got the land. I have the technology. Let's work together. Facts. What, what China is today. So Facts. it seems African as a whole we can do the same thing. Facts. Plus the, the Chinese government and the Communist Party had a strategy for the country, but that's besides the way. <laughs> so we can do the same thing if the we Chinese can. did it, the Germans did it. Yeah. After, I mean, after World War II, Germany was nothing, but most of the Germans that came to the U.S. and other places, they learned and they went back home and they joined forces like the German brothers and look what Germany is today. So the African would do the same thing. Got it, got it. But it's been pretty interesting talking to you. Let's just dial it back a notch for culture, uh, round off with like some cultural uh, stories also. You've talked about going to Cancun, or maybe you've traveled to a bunch of places, visiting your cousins in the U.S. Do you have any, like, I won't say dream destinations, but places you would probably like to visit, maybe two or three countries you've always wanted to visit, and if you get the opportunity, uh, you'll go back there. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. I always want to visit Kenya. Mm. Yeah, I why mean, can you? Because it's just like it's a very interesting landscape. I thought like a safari and everything else going. I was in the visit Kenya and then visit like Mombasa also too. So I mean, I just just so much history. Mombasa is in Kenya. Yeah, it's in. Oh, Kenya. you mean Nairobi and Mombasa? Yep, Nairobi and Mombasa. Got yeah, it, got too. it. Got and then, um, and I would I would like to visit like Timbuktu also too. Mm. Also too, because you know, and I always want to visit like Benin also too. Got it. But Benin, the country? Yeah, Benin, yeah, the country. Got yeah, it, yeah, got yeah. it. Because I'm Benin, but I'm from Nigeria. Nigeria, yeah, There's yeah, always yeah. a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure your friend Eva is Benin, too. That's a Benin no, name. No, Eva, Eva is Igbo. Oh, it's Igbo. Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. got yeah, it. Igbo, yeah, so. Okay. Yeah, but I thought, for me, as I said, my whole world in Africa, I mean, like, there's so much history, so much cultural. I mean, where else can you go and see, like, so much history and so much culture? I and mean, maybe I'll try to add Egypt to the list, also, too, or maybe... Sudan or something, yeah. But makes sense, makes sense. It's admirable that all those uh, all those countries are in Africa. Right, right. But yeah, pretty interesting, pretty interesting. I mean, it's been interesting talking with you, man. I mean, um, I'm new in Colorado. I don't know if I how long I can keep saying that because I'm going on three months, <laughs> maybe for at least one more month. Right, right. I keep saying I'm new in Colorado, but yeah, I look forward to interacting with you offline. Uh, hopefully, you know, have you back on the podcast a couple of times. Yeah. Is there anyone you think you can introduce to me as far as now? that you kind of like have a feeling of what this podcast is yeah i can probably be a good guest on the podcast oh yeah definitely man um uh, i have a friend that's a lawyer and stuff with me i'll definitely like you to bring him on and stuff um and you just come and just talk to him and see if you guys want to like link up and see <coughs> excuse me excuse me um it's winter time in, in the u.s <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean so yeah i mean i think i got tons of people you might want to be talking to you just you come and tell me like who you want to be listening to, like, what's the topic of discussion when it talk it, about. Yeah, I pretty much talk to everyone. Like, I've, I've, I've spoken to people in, in real estate, people in finance, people who've just traveled to all these bunch of countries, people who speak multiple languages, just someone with a different background, a different experience, mm. maybe a different cultural identity or a different sexual or religious identity that we can just talk about things that are not peculiar to me because I'm African, I'm Nigerian, I'm Christian, anything that's not that. Right. We can so talk about I got a, I got a, no, I got a, I, I know um, there's a guy, he's African-American, but he has a very, very interesting past, man. Like, um, he's one of the top tech guy mm. in Colorado. He grew up in a very, very rough neighborhood and stuff. I think he'll be a pretty good candidate. You might want to, I can give you his card. Okay, this is in Sam, is it? Uh, no, he's uh, um, German. 
Jeremy, okay, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interviewing Sam Samuel Elfe in uh, I think in January. Okay, okay. First week of January, but okay, yeah. he, he has kind of like a similar. But I think he'll be a pretty good candidate also okay. too. And then um, and I got who else can I think? You, you tell me the topic you want to discuss, and I will go to my contact. And, and, and so you want to like talk to guys like in fitness, like mm-hmm. I know where you can reach out to as far as like fitness and things goes. And then I got friends on that I know how to discuss credit. So I got a friend because most people already know this in the US. Yeah. Credit is king, not cash. So I got yeah. a friend. Hook me up. I got a friend. I've I, always wanted to do a credit episode. Like I've been reaching out oh. to someone in Empowered. Uh, he hasn't responded. No, I got a buddy. He have no problem. Hook me up. Doing, me up. doing, let's you, go. You, 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 <laughs> we'll talk to you about credit all day, all day long okay, and everything else. Okay. And I got another buddy that does on that, that knows about how to like talk about stocks and things like that also too. So you okay. tell me what you want, whichever flavor you Good want. Credit, definitely. Then maybe the stock guy also. Let's go those two. Definitely. So yeah, just just push them my my number up. Give me their numbers. I'll reach out. I'll give you Instagram Shane. I'll give you Shane numbers right now. Okay. And they reach out to Shane. Tell him I send you. But Shane, he knows about credit. Okay. On top, the bottom, the bottom, the top. And I think your guests would definitely appreciate that because credit. Yeah, it's very very important. In yeah, this they, oh, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I mean, I have friends who who ran away from credit, who came here for two three years. They ran away from credit, saying, "No, I only deal in cash because that's what we do in Africa." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But eventually, when they graduated from school, when they started wanting to do things like get cars or get yep. houses, they started to discover how important credit was. And they're like, "Oh, if I had only built it that two three years, yeah. I ran away from it. I would have been better off." Hundred percent. So you know that was something I I learned coming in to do right away. I don't know people that became millionaires mm. with no money in the bank account. Exactly. Just just credit. credit. Yep. Yep. That happens. Land of opportunity, man. <laughs> wow. All right. It's been very interesting talking to you, Mr. Yeah. Craig, uh, Kenny Green. Uh, I'll give you like a couple of minutes if you want to like uh, say one or two things, maybe throw one or two advices out there. Or if you want to drop your uh, professional uh, phone number for people to reach out to you, they want to like engage with your social media handles or you want to talk about fitness, anything you want to discuss. Just yeah, that. definitely, man. Um, so my, my, my Instagram is um, Mahaya Confidential. So you can like M-I-L-E-H-I-G-H Confidential. And you can always shoot me any questions on Instagram. Uh, direct cell phone number here. 720-252-4840, again at 720-252-4840. And then on, on Facebook is 5280 Credit Blog, again 5280 Credit Blog, you can always send me a Facebook message, I'm always on my Facebook, you can call me, if you have any questions about anything, I'm always willing to help, if you need any referrals. As far as you're trying to like connect with different people, I'm always trying to help out. If I have the people in my contact, I'm mind sharing them information with you. Got it. Got it. Uh, thank you very much. You guys can also, as usual, you can follow Cultural Class Podcast everywhere. Also, uh, it's Cultural Class Podcast on Twitter, on uh, Instagram, on Facebook. On Twitter, it's Cultural Class Pod. Send us an email, culturalclasspodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think. Tell us who you would like to listen to. Uh, comments on the episode if you're listening on SoundCloud. If you're not listening on SoundCloud, you can get us on Spotify now. We're on Google um, Podcasts. We're on a whole bunch of places. iHeartRadio. Uh, Luminary and all different platforms so you can pretty much find us everywhere I'm trying to get us on Stitcher I think that's the last platform we have to be on for people in the UK well thanks guys Uh, have a great day and happy holidays